We're going to finish our series in the first three chapters of Revelation. This morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 13. So if you have a Bible or a device, uh, the scripture will also be on the screen. But we're going to be in Revelation 3, 7 through 13. We've been looking at these letters from Jesus to seven local churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. We've called this series Love Jesus as a reference to the fact that these are letters But more importantly, they are letters that communicate the love of Christ to us, his church, and compel love for Jesus in us. And it's been amazing to see Christ's heart for his people all throughout these letters. And I hope that it has been as much a blessing to you as it has been to me, and also as much of a challenge uh, to you as it has been to me. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, we saw that Jesus wants our hearts. In the letter to the church at Smyrna, we saw that Jesus knows our hurts. In the letter to the church in Pergamum, we saw that Jesus fights against our heresies. In the letter to the church in Thyatira, we saw that Jesus fights for our holiness. In the letter to the church in Sardis, we saw that Jesus desires our health, our spiritual health. And the theme of this letter, the letter to the church in Philadelphia, is that Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. All of us are desperate for hope. And right now, many of the people and the places and the products that we have looked to in our lives for hope have failed us. I can't remember a time in my life when things, generally speaking, felt more hopeless. But we are the people of God. And the people of God are a people of relentless hope because no matter the circumstances, Jesus Christ is Lord. Our God reigns and he loves us. Jesus gives us hope. And that's our mission here at Back Creek Church is to take the hope that Jesus gives and to connect other people with that hope, not only for eternity, but for right now. The church in Philadelphia was a faithful church. So much so that in this letter, unlike some of the other churches, they receive no rebuke, no accusation from Jesus, just like the church in Smyrna. But the church in Philadelphia needed to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ, and we need it too. So the Lord has provided this letter for us today, Revelation 3, 7 through 13. This is the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 
Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord uh, for his word. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you inspired this word by your spirit. That this word testifies to your son. Lord, I pray that it would show us his love for us as his church and that it would compel love for him in us. Lord, that by the end of this message today, our time together in God's word, we would love Jesus more for who he is and for what he has done and for what he will do. Lord, please give us an ear today to hear what your spirit has to say to the churches. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The church in Philadelphia needed hope. And in the attribution of this letter, Jesus shows us why he is the only one qualified to give them the hope that they need. The attribution is found in verse 7. The words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. The church in Philadelphia needed hope. And we'll get into why specifically in a few moments. But in this attribution, we see that Jesus is the one qualified to give them the hope that they need for three reasons. The first is Jesus is holy, the Holy One. This is a reminder of who Jesus is. He is God. He is the Holy One who is utterly above and beyond everything in all creation. He is totally set apart, absolutely flawless in all of His manifold perfections, including His moral perfection. Because of His holiness, Jesus is worthy to be the object of all of our hope and all of our adoration as fully God. I think of Isaiah chapter 6 and the, the seraphim, these fiery angels who are flying around the throne of God and they have six wings and with two they cover their feet out of respect. With two they cover their eyes because they cannot behold the glory and the splendor of the holiness of God. And with two wings they fly and they never stop calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I think of the great hymn that we sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who wert and art and evermore shalt be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. Only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, reminds us of who he is. Holy, holy, 
holy. But his holiness also reminds us of what he's done. Jesus is the eternal son of the father who became fully human while remaining fully God. That he might live out divine perfection in human life, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law on behalf of those who fail to keep it. God says, be holy as I am holy, but we have sinned against him. We have fallen short, infinitely short of his glory and his holiness. And through his life of holiness and through his holy and humiliating death on the cross, Jesus, who rose again from the dead, gives hope to sinners and sufferers and strugglers that through him we can be reconciled to God. We can be made new and we can have eternal life. This is the hope of the gospel and it is grounded in the holiness of Jesus, both in his character and in his actions. Jesus is also qualified to give us hope, not only because he's holy, but also because he is true. This is also a reminder of who Jesus is. He is God. He is truth. He is the very ground of every reality in existence. All truth comes from him and all truth is defined by him. But this is also a reminder of what Jesus does. Not only is he truth, but he also reveals the truth to us. He came into the world as one of us to show us in the most intimate and beautiful and powerful way who our God is. Everything that Jesus does and everything that Jesus says is a revelation of ultimate and utter truth. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the truth that we have come to personally know and he tells us the truth that sets us free and he gives us his spirit to lead us into all truth. This description of Jesus is also, as true, is also a reference to his faithfulness, his loyalty, and his tenacious commitment to God and to God's people. It brings such hope to people that need hope to be reminded that the one who is truth, the one who reveals truth, is also the faithful one who will never leave us nor forsake us, but who is with us always in all things, always doing good to us and for us, even to the very end. Jesus is our true Savior. He's our true shepherd. He's our, our true friend, the true lover of our souls, and the true King who rules over us in love and mercy and goodness. Jesus is holy and Jesus is true. And this also gives hope to the church in Philadelphia because these are qualities that he sees reflected in them. And we will see in Christ's affirmation of these believers that though they are imperfect, just like we are, they have pursued holiness and truth. In verse eight, Jesus says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. But before we get into that affirmation, there is another description of Jesus in this attribution. Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. The first thing that I think of when I hear this is a hymn that we sing at Christmas. You may know it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And there's a verse of that song that is not usually sung, but it goes like this. O come thou key of David, come. And open wide our heavenly home, 
make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. This is the second reference to key keys that belong to Jesus. The first mention is in chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says, fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Both references to keys are about Christ's authority. The keys of death and Hades represent that by virtue of his death and resurrection, Jesus has victory and authority over death, our enemy, and the place of the dead. And he holds authority over them. This reference to the key of David takes an Old Testament symbol of kingly authority from Isaiah 22:22 to demonstrate that Jesus as king has authority to open and close any door he desires on behalf of his people and no one can do anything about it. With the key of David, Jesus has opened wide our heavenly home and this is our great and eternal hope. But with that same key, he also opens doors here on earth and closes them according to his sovereign authority. And this gives such hope and comfort to the believer. We are not the lords of our lives. We are not the captains of our souls. We are not self-made, self-reliant, self-sufficient individuals. It is God who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, It is God who rules over our lives. He is the one who opens and closes doors for us according to his will. And brothers and sisters, we can trust him. I find that all the times I try to take control of my life, when I try to force a door open by my own will and effort, it either doesn't happen and the door is closed in my face, or I don't find what I was looking for on the other side of the door. On the other hand, when I am relying on the Lord to rule and to guide me, He has opened doors for me and ushered me through them that I didn't even know existed. In fact, that's honestly how I got here to Back Creek. This is not an excuse for passivity or laziness on the part of God's people. Those don't honor the Lord anyway. But this is a reason for hope that God is at work in our decisions and the directions of our life, that his plan for us is good, that Christ will open the doors and close the doors that must be opened and closed so that we will ultimately become the people that he created and redeemed us to be. Jesus is holy and he is true and he has the key of David, which he will use in his affirmation of the church in Philadelphia to give them hope. This is a long affirmation, so we're going to work through it a little bit at a time, but you can find it in verses 8 through the first part of verse 11. As with the other churches, Jesus says in his affirmation, I know your works. Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus knows you and he sees you? He knows what you think. He knows what you say. He knows what you do. For the Christians in Sardis that we looked at the letter to them last week, uh, this phrase was a condemnation. 
Their works were not complete in the sight of God. They had the reputation of being alive, but in actuality, they were dead. For the Christians in Philadelphia, though, this was an affirmation that Jesus knew and saw their faithfulness. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Not only was this church faithful, but they were faithful against the odds. This wasn't a very impressive church, but they had just very little power. And this word has the sense of of strength or, or capability in which they were lacking. They did not have the size or the influence or the resources or the gifts of other churches. They were, in, in worldly terms, weak. It was the kind of church that many of us might look at and wonder, what could they possibly do for the kingdom? I would venture to say that many Christians today are addicted to power and strength. Think of what we can do for God if we have these resources, if we have this influence, if, if we have this access to the halls of power. But the truth is, all throughout God's word, he seems much more interested in weakness than in earthly power. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 that God purposefully chooses the weak to shame the strong. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he describes his own experience with this. He says this, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me and to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Get this picture. Paul is afflicted by something and he asks the Lord to take it away. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We do not naturally think like this. But this is such good news for weak Christians and struggling churches. My father-in-law is a Baptist pastor in Georgia, and I love his comment about this truth. If this really is true, that, that God chooses the weak things to shame the strong, then your weakness may very well be your greatest asset. Because as we realize how little strength we have, we begin to realize just how much strength God has to work through us. And that's our choice. We can be paralyzed by our weakness or we can be energized by the grace and power of God in our lives because Christ in us is the only hope of glory. This church was faithful in her weakness, holding to the truth of God's word and living by it in holiness and refusing to deny Christ even under intense persecution. So Jesus gives the church hope. He gives them immediate hope for their immediate circumstances and he gives them eternal hope as well. 
The immediate hope comes in three areas. Jesus promises an, an open door, a defeat of their enemies, and deliverance from trial. The open door gives the church hope that though they have little power, little strength, little capability, their faithful ministry will also be fruitful ministry for the Lord and for his kingdom. Jesus is letting them know that they need not be paralyzed by their weaknesses. They need not obsess over the areas where they are not as great as other churches because he is the one who is going to make them effective in connecting people with the hope of the gospel. He will put his almighty power on display in them. They are given hope that what seems small and weak and insignificant is actually eternally significant in ways that they currently can't even imagine. The defeat of their enemies gives the church hope that even their strongest and most evil opponents will not overcome them or even be able to stop them in their ministry. On the contrary, those very enemies will come and bow down before their feet and they will know that Jesus loves the church in Philadelphia. Deliverance from the hour of trial gives the church hope that they will not face or be snuffed out by the judgment that is coming on the world because they patiently endured persecution from the synagogue of Satan. And brothers and sisters, I'd say the same immediate hope given to the church in Philadelphia is given to the church at Bat Creek. Jesus has and will continue to open doors for us in our weakness that no one can shut and he faithfully calls us to walk through them. Jesus has already defeated all of his and our enemies through his death on the cross and by walking out of that tomb. And whether we see the defeat of our earthly enemies in our lifetime or not, we know that one day, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know that we have been delivered by Christ from God's judgment against our sin. Jesus gives the church, the church of Philadelphia and the church at Bat Creek, immediate hope, but he also gives eternal hope. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Our eternal hope is not that we will when we die, fly off to heaven by and by. That is certainly a hope for us. We look forward to being absent from the body and present with the Lord. We look forward to our souls being united to Christ fully in heaven, being made perfect before Him. But our great and eternal hope is that we will not stay there but that one day Jesus will return from heaven, bringing those with him who have gone before and that he will raise the dead, that our souls and our bodies will be reunited, imperishable, and that we will live forever in a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sadness, no more crying, no more tears, no more sickness, no more death, and we will feast in the house of Zion. I am coming soon. Are we ready? And with this promise of eternal hope, Jesus gives an admonition. Hold fast to what you have 
so that no one may seize your crown. Jesus has told the church in Philadelphia that they are holy and that they are faithful and that they are true. He says, you have held to my word and you have not denied my name. Now hold fast to what you have received. Hold fast to the gospel. Believe in the Lord, even when it doesn't look like he's going to show up. Even when it seems like your enemies are going to win. Even when it seems like you're being challenged by the hour of trial. Even when in your weakness you feel ineffective and defeated. Hold fast to the good news of the gospel. Hold fast to what Christ has purchased for you in his life and death and resurrection and no one will be able to seize your crown the crown of eternal life and then of course Jesus never leaves us without assurance the one who conquers he says I will make a pillar in the house of my God if you remain humble and hold fast to the gospel you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you. You will enjoy his presence forever and you will be his forever. Dr. Douglas Kelly says it this way. If you concentrate on Jesus and give your life to him, I will make you one day pillars in the house of God. You will be more beautiful than any columns in the most gorgeous cathedrals of Europe. You will be lovelier than the most beautiful Georgian mansion, the most wonderful palace or castle, than the loveliness of the snow-capped mountains, the beauty of the foaming seas, the green meadows of the forest. All of that will be nothing compared to the beauty our whole universe is going to admire when I get through making you what I have planned for you to be. Bad Creek, this is true of us as individuals and this is true of us as a church. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the house of my God. He shall never go out of it and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and for your faithfulness in giving it to your people, in working by it and by your Spirit for our good. Oh Lord, help us to see and to embrace and to boast in our weaknesses, knowing that your strength is made perfect in weakness. Help us to trust your promises and to receive the hope that you have for us, that we might be about our mission of connecting others who are without hope and without God in the world with the true hope of the gospel of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.